0: Okay, hello everyone, welcome to the newest episode of X-Band. Sorry it's been a while between episodes, we've just been busy and um, things getting in the road. So, this episode we'll be looking at issues one and two of King's Watch, which is a new series from uh, Dynamite Entertainment who did The Last Phantom. Uh, with me again, this episode is Jermaine. Hello Jermaine, how are you? How you going mate? Pretty good, thank you. That's the way. May as well become our um, regular co-host, I guess, now. It's been, what, three episodes you've been on, I think? This will be the fourth one? Uh, yeah, I think all except the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So, may as well instate you as official co-host, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Awesome. Right. Well, before we get into King's Watch, let's um, talk about some Phantom news. <music> Okay, so perhaps the most exciting thing that um, has been announced recently is um, Bradley Peach's exhibition of his fennel collection that's going to be in Albury early next year. Albury is um, part of Canberra, which is part of New South Wales in Australia. I suppose technically it's not part of New South Wales, but we'll let other people argue about that. Um, so he's having his exhibition is it do you know if it's the whole of his collection jermaine or just part of it
1: um i think it's pretty much most of it but it's not just his collection it's other people's collection as well
0: oh okay um, i thought it was i thought it was just his no 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 so it's um
1: so yeah so he's he's getting a few people's collections or like bits and pieces of other people's collection uh mm-hmm. in it, like for instance um some comics from uh, from around the world that I have will probably be featuring in the exhibition as well, and, and I know he's been talking to a few others as well.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Nice. Well, the um, exhibition opens on Saturday the 8th of February next year and goes till um, the 16th of March, so it's on for a fair while. Um, apart from just having the exhibition, though, on the... Um, Saturday the 15th of February they've got a whole bunch of events set to take place which um, is superhero family story time in kids space I assume that's a little kids area that they have at the museum Um, a couple of museums do that now which is good so they're going to have dress ups as your favourite superhero and enjoy story time and photo opportunities so there's going to be someone there dressed up as a phantom, which is pretty cool Um, they're also having a cartooning workshop and I've heard that Glenn Ford may be taking part in that, but I don't think that's confirmed yet.
1: I think also maybe Antonio Lemos as well.
0: Oh, cool. Very nice. Um, so there's also going to be uh, sharing your collection and stories, which is um, sort of like a talk with Phantom Collectors and other similar pop culture memor- memorabilia, and I'll talk about how they got into collecting and, and the journeys that's taken them on. And then there's also um, going to be a talk and tour of the exhibition. So I'm not sure if Bradley himself or one of the other collectors that's involved or it'll be the um, museum staff that'll be giving that. But there will be a uh, talk and tour of the exhibition. And there's also going to be an appearance by a special phantom guest who will open the exhibition. But we haven't um, heard who that special guest is going to be. But... I'm guessing it might be Glen Ford as well. Um, um,
1: it might be, but I've I've uh, heard on the on the Jungle grapevine that there might be uh, there might be some actual other guests, including from America.
0: Yes, I've heard that Bradley has been pushing his contacts to get some very impressive guests. Obviously, we don't know how um, successful those will be, but I'm sure he'll do everything in his power to. Get those people there, including someone who's already weren't worn the purple tights. Um, I'm sure you can figure out who I'm talking about there, but I won't give it away because Bradley might yell at me. Um, something that I'm really excited to see, and I really, really hope I can get there. It's um, not cheap to fly from Maitland, to, which is in the middle of New South Wales, to Albury, but I'm hoping I'll be able to get there. But I really want to see the submarine. Part of Bradley's collection includes the actual submarine from the end of the 1996 phantom movie that the phantom diana and seller escape the exploding Seng pirate basin um which would be extremely cool to see in person so that's going to be there and of course a lot of other really cool uh memorabilia i saw on facebook that you're planning on going jermaine
1: uh yes i'm planning on going um so it'll be a little bit more expensive going from WA to country New South Wales or mm. country Canberra, wherever it is. But no, I'm planning on going, um, and I'm planning on having some of my pieces showing as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, it should be good. I've been in regular contact with uh, Brad about it. Um, maybe when it, maybe when the time gets a little bit closer, we will have to get Brad on here to discuss some of the uh, what some of the uh, pieces that will be shown and all that, which which will help whet people's appetite.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to get him on here to talk about it. Um, so, like I say, I'm hoping I get down there. It's just it's a bit of tricky timing. It's right at the start of the school term. For those that don't know, I'm a, um, I'm a school teacher. So, yeah, to be right at the sc- start of the school term, is, it's a little tricky to sort of juggle everything. And, of course, I'm poor, so that doesn't help either. But if I don't get there on opening night, hopefully I'll get there between sometime when it opens or when it closes. But yeah, it should be good fun. Okay, apart from that we have um a new clock that's been released from Bradford Exchange, who, as many people probably know, do a lot of high quality phantom collectibles. It's um it's like a kind of cuckoo clock, I suppose you would say, except it's the phantom running out of the skull cave on horseback, um, with Devil alongside him rather than the traditional bird. Um as with most of Bradford's stuff, this has been designed by Glenn Ford, and um, it looks really, really nice. Just going off the um, the pictures that we've seen, um, it's got uh, lights in it as well. So the interior of the skull cave lights up, and the light obviously shines out the skull cave's mouth and the eyes. And there's voice as well. Um, oh, is it voices or music? Uh, um, no, it's both.
1: It's so both. you've got the jungle, you've got the jungle noises, and then the voices are like, uh, old jungle sayings.
0: Oh, okay. The uh, information I have just says lights and sound. So, yeah. I specify. It's,
1: um, I will admit, it's, at first I was a little bit, um, dubious, a little bit unsure whether it was going to be, uh, worth getting or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I saw, I saw a few people, a few people got it before that I did, and, from their comments, uh, they were quite impressed with it, so I ended up getting one as well, and I'm very impressed with it. Um, it yeah, it, I don't know, a cuckoo clock just does not sound. I don't know, it, it, it doesn't. It almost sounds cheap.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: but it's it's a very it's probably one of their better products. Mm-hmm. Um, probably uh, probably my favourite statue, you know, the gold statue that looks like a um. Uh, an Oscar award. Um, oh yeah,
0: yeah. Another one you mean?
1: That's probably my favourite, but the um, the clocks probably is probably right up there, just behind as so far probably the best um, you know production of what they've done. And the sculpting sculpting's not bad. The sculpting's good. Um, you know the little fan on the hero coming out and all that is pretty good as well. And you can, you can turn it off so it doesn't make noises and stuff so you know you don't get freaked out in the middle of the night thinking that <laughs> um, you know a horse or is you know going to come running through your bedroom wall.
0: Or... Yeah <laughs> Yeah well they've, they've just advertised it as the phantom clock. They haven't said in any of the literature that I've read about it that it's a cuckoo clock. I've never stated that but that's basically what it is. I mean he comes out of the cave on a given hour. Um, as it chimes, so the function of it is pretty much the same as the cuckoo clock, but yeah, I would say it's a bit fancier than your standard, you know, old grandma cuckoo clock, um, type deal with the lights and everything, so yeah. But it's, it's a limited edition, like most Bradford stuff. It's only got, um, 1936 pieces made, which would be a reference to a specific year, I would imagine. Um, and it's not cheap either. Um, it's uh, – let me find the information. Here we go. You can do five pay- payments of ninety uh, dollars 99 plus $20 shipping. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not cheap. You can buy it outright as well, but I think most people would probably go for the payment option. Um, unfortunately, it's a little bit out of my budget, so I probably won't be getting one anytime soon unless – I don't know. I tried to hint it. Hint Um, at my girlfriend to get it for me but I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen for Christmas Um, but yeah it it does look nice the only thing I was a little bit um, concerned about and um, I haven't actually seen it in person like you have Jermaine but looking at the the images of it um, obviously they've tried to show the the leaves of the trees the ferns of the trees they're coming out around the skull cave but just the photo that they've taken of it makes the Skull Cave kind of look a little unbalanced, I guess would be the best way to say it. And when I bought um, the Bradford statue... Was it the Bradford...? No, Croft sorry, I think it is, statue um, of the Phantom just sort of as he's getting up from the Skull Cave... Uh, from the Skull Throne, sorry. Some of the sculpting looks a little out. There's bits that looks like they've maybe... not cut corners on, but could have taken a little bit more care. And Glenn Ford actually said that, you know, when he designed um, that statue and then got it back from the manufacturers in, I think he said China, he was a little bit disappointed because some of the um, finer points that he put in the illustration hadn't come through in the final sculpt. But that's just kind of uh, lost in translation was how he described it. So, yeah, there's a little thing, a few things just looking at the pitch that I thought... Oh, I don't know. For that kind of money, I want it to be absolutely perfect. But that's just me looking at the photos. Like I say, I haven't seen it in real life, so maybe those um, little gripes wouldn't stand up to an actual viewing of the of the item. But you said it was pretty good, so.
1: Yeah, I, I guess you know. Yeah, this you know it probably could. Like anything, you know, there would probably be bits and pieces out of. Um, that could probably be done a little bit better or, or something like that. But I, I think, overall, it is a very nice place.
0: Mm. Well, it, um, if there's... Sorry. No, 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 yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think, overall, it is a very nice place.
0: Mm. Well, just looking at the, the picture we've got here on the site, um, you can see into the cave, and you can see that they've got the skull thrown in there. And it looks like they have actually included in the sculpt of the um, skull thrown, they've actually included the Chain of Patients. Now, whether that's just supposed to be um, texture for the throne and it just looks like a chain in this image, I'm not sure, but if that is included, that's that's some pretty impressive attention to detail, so they should be given props for that. Uh, I, To be honest, I didn't
1: notice it, and I don't have it in front of me, so, um, yeah, I don't know about that one. But...
0: Well, the little Garan and the little other little pygmy look pretty cool, though, so on either side of the cave. Yeah. So, yeah, um, if people are into Bradford stuff, that's well worth checking out. And, of course, um, we've got information of that and, of course, Bradley's exhibition on the Chronicle Champs site. So um, we've got two more pieces of news. The next one is that Cy Barry is setting up his own website to sell his original artwork. Um, the site's not actually set up yet. It'll be active when we posted this, which was around the end of October. Um, the information was it would be active in about two months, so I suppose that'd be towards the end of December, early next year. It'll be actually up and running. But at the moment at the moment the plan is to um, sell size artwork on there, and there's also already um, someone you can contact if you want to sort of, I suppose, put a hold on any of his artwork. But, Jermaine, you know a little bit about that. You've had a little bit to do with that site, haven't you?
1: Uh, No, not with that site. No, I haven't. Um, But Apart from, I don't know too much about it, but I think it's it's been organised by his son, um, uh, Sky Barry's son, and I think there's also an option where you can uh, buy
0: commissions as well. Oh, cool. Very nice. Because I think owning an original Sciberry f- uh, drawing would be, you know, something every every Phantom fan would dream of. Um. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, I've got one from I've got a daily from late '80s from mm-hmm. the story the the Man thing I think it was. Oh yeah. Um, and it's got it uh, the Phantom in two of the panels uh, on a horse, and it's, it's very it's, it is very very nice. And then I've also got one from. Um, We've got a few other dailies as well, and the I guess the attention to the detail is, especially the jungle scenes and all that is, is it's really chalk and cheese between the two of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, my, um, my original artwork collection doesn't have any Phantom stuff in it at the moment, but um, I have seen some Siberia stuff for sale, and again, it just always is way out of my price range. So, did you get your stuff um, at one of the Lee Falk dinners, or did you get it through another fan, or how did you come it?
1: Um, I got mine. I think it was last year for my birthday. Oh, nice! Uh, slash Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, from an auction site. So it cost it cost about two hundred dollars, including our uh, shipping from America
0: okay. to Australia. That's not too bad for original piece of art. But...
1: No. Definitely, There's the um it, it was a decent price. Uh, up up until probably the last three four years, Skyberry artwork has been really really pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only been probably in the last yeah the last couple of years that there's been a lot more that has come out to be sold, and a lot of it's come from um from the Lee Falk, uh estate. Oh yeah. Um. But you know, before that, like I was talking to some fans. They paid six hundred dollars just for a daily. Wow. Um, you know, and up to a thousand for you know for a Sunday. Wow, that that is a lot.
0: <laughs> so the the actual size of the dailies and Sundays they're they're about the size of an A3 sheet, aren't they? Roughly.
1: Uh, it really depends. Um, I've got a. I've got a Sunday from Graham Nolan and it's about, um, it's probably about an A5 sheet.
0: Okay. So a little bit
1: bigger than an A4, but not quite. Mhm.
0: So is that just the one panel or is that three or four? Or? Uh, no, that's,
1: so that's actually, that's a Sunday. So it's got like the three rows. Oh, okay. Um, but then I've got four dailies. I've got one from um, Wilson McCoy, one from Sky Barry, one from uh, Olson, uh, George Olson, and also one from uh, Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Wilson McCoy one was actually is actually quite a bit larger than the others. Oh, okay. Um,
0: so the Wilson McCoy one's a lot larger. And the other three are very similar in size. I wonder if that's something to do with the um, the reproduction process they had while when he was doing the art, whether they needed to make them bigger to get the reproduction quality.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, oh, I don't either. I'm, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it could do with something. Maybe, maybe that was the standard, and you know, mm-hmm. I know that they've shrunken the dailies and Sundays. You know, over time, you know, to fit to, you know, to fit in the newspaper. So maybe, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a uh, an artist's dis- uh, choice because I've noticed that with some of my other original artwork, a lot of artists use different sizes yep. um, when they when they draw it. Like I think Keith uh, Chatto, or Chateau, he did um, the same size as actually a comic. So, the actual oh, okay. comic you see in through, that was the size that he did. Um, wow. And then, uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie LePan, the, um, uh, the guy that does the Simic uh, Egmont stories, his is like A3 size. Yeah. His dailies, are all well, his dailies, but his drawings are A3 size, mm. um, which is probably the largest of what I've seen.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's. That's cool. I didn't realise that there were so many different size variants because of what I've seen, most of them are around the same size, so that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, oh, and if anyone's, just a plug, if anyone's interested in an original Joel, George Olsen sketch, there's one on eBay at the moment. Um, someone's selling that. I don't know who it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's one on their process sketch, if anybody's interested. Okay, so the last bit of news I've got is um, something that... I'm incredibly excited about. Um, If you've been following Chronicle Chamber for any length of time, you'll know I'm a huge Phantom 2040 fan, and the first season of that has finally been released officially on DVD. Um, We originally reported on that a couple of months ago on the site, but it's just come out at the start of this month. Um, At the moment, it seems that only... Uh, Australian sites are selling it, with the exception of Amazon UK, I think. Um, it's $44.95 Australian, and it contains every episode from Season 1, which I believe is about 23 20 or so, 23, 24 episodes, something like that. Um, it goes for 390 minutes all up, and it, it's quite a nice set. There's no special features, unfortunately, but the cover is quite nice, and the discs are quite... Quite nice. Um, If you are an international fan and would like to get a copy, on my copy on the back of the DVD, it doesn't say um, what region the DVD is. Usually if a DVD is region locked, it'll have the region it's locked to printed on the back of the DVD case. Um, Mine does not have that. However, someone on Facebook on the fandom Collector group said that they read on, I think they said it was Amazon UK that, the DVD is Region 2 and 4. Now, that may be because um, the UK uses both Region 2 and 4, and obviously, being Amazon UK, that's the regions they would sell their DVDs at. So whether that's just a um, a thing they will put up there for every DVD, um, regardless of what region it actually is, I'm not sure. But I can tell you the actual copy that I have in my hands does not have uh, regional information on it, so you can... Try it on your player if you don't live in Australia or the UK and see how it goes. If it is region locked though, usually there are ways to get around that. Just Google your um, DVD player model or if you're watching it on the computer, whatever software you use. And generally there are ways to get around that. So, um, I just thought I'd make a few thoughts on the actual quality of of the DVD. It's... It seems uh, that most of the episodes have come from the original uh, recordings. Um, They're not just being, you know, taped off the TV or whatever, which obviously would be stupid for a DVD release. However, I did notice in a couple of um, episodes there was a little bit of static or frame shutter that would occur for a second and then go, and sometimes um, for a second or two the sound will dip really low and then come back up to the usual usual volume level. So whether that's just something that um, has happened with time on the original recordings that they've used to make the DVD, and obviously they haven't bothered to put any effort into restoring them or whatever because, well, maybe they didn't think that would be worth the time and effort given the sales projection um, of the DVD set. So it's very much a vanilla release. They haven't done anything fancy to it, but all the episodes are there in their complete... Um, forms there's been no editing at least as far as I've been able to notice so for anyone that hasn't seen 2040 um, at all or is longing to see it um, because you've watched it what was it 97 I think it originally came out um, it's well worth checking up and checking up on and 45 bucks for a five dollar sorry a five disc DVD set is is pretty good in my opinion most TV series are around that so it's well worth checking out. Have you picked it up, Jermaine? Um, so no, I haven't picked it up yet. Um, I'll probably pick it up a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's well worth checking out if you're a two hundred four hundred fan or just um interested in in that series to see what it's all about. Well, that's all the news items I had. Do you have anything for us, Jermaine? Um, yeah. So I guess while we were talking about the original
1: artwork, I just remembered that um George Olsen. Wilson... Uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago.
0: Oh yes, that's true. He did too.
1: Um, so there's that. Um, there's another one. There's a um, there's another website that's uh, well, that I've only just been made aware of, probably the last couple of days, which is uh, from Tony D Paul, who is a phantom writer. He currently does newspaper strips. Mhm. Um, so he's got it's like a blog. But I think it's actually uh, King Features, um, like, I think it's, like, License. So, for instance, you know, it has all of the uh, Daily and Sunday stories on there. Um, he writes about the stories. And I think even the editors of King Features actually comment in the comments as well. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's been, um, it's been, oh, I've had a bit of a look at it yesterday. I'll probably have another look at it later this week. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then there was another piece of news, which escapes me at the moment. Um,
0: Would it be um, the taking over of Jim? Oh Shepard's yes, son? yes, yes, that's right. Thank you. Um, that's all right. <laughs> in
1: uh, through one six seven seven, Judith makes mention that um, Steve Shepherd, which is um, Jim Shepherd's son. Uh, and Judith's son as well, will be taking over the chief editor and publisher of Fruit Publications. And in 1678, which is the latest one, I think the new one comes out on the um, 14th of November, he does his first uh, message from the publisher, and he makes mention that there will be a, um, a website coming in the new year. Um, and he's also asked everyone for uh, some. I want everyone to email him some suggestions and comments, and he's got his email address in that comic as well. So, um, which is kind of interesting because our last podcast yes. we talked about getting a website and some other stuff. So I wonder if, I don't know if you listen to the podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but I've had a few emails with Steve, with Steve and he seems to be, um, you know, he seems to be pretty good. And from what I know of him, he's fairly. You know, he's a good businessman. Um, cause he's a fairly successful business uh, with the business that he's, um, he owns and stuff. So, I I'm excited to hear about he's doing a website, and I, I guess I'm excited on what he going to um, do for the fandom and for free.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what what comes up with that. I'm um, intending to email him myself, let him know about the site, and say if there's anything we can help you out with, we'd be more than happy. So hopefully we'll be able to build a bit of a um relationship there and maybe Fru will let us in on um you know, what what their future plans in so we can let it let everybody know. But yeah, it's a good it's a very good thing. And like you say, after our conversation um in the last podcast it's it's reassuring that there's someone that's looking to, you know, take through a little bit further into the modern day, even if it is just to give them a website. Make it more accessible. Right. So, anything else you want to cover? Um, I think that's pretty much it.
1: Let's get on to the main discussion. I reckon. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So. We're going to discuss the first two issues of King's Watch, the new series from Dynamite Entertainment, who previously brought us The Last Phantom. Now, if you haven't read these issues, you may want to stop the podcast now because we will be spoiling this. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't read them, you may want to may want to wait till after you've read them to come back and listen to this episode. So, I thought we'd just give a cr- really quick. Um, overview of what happens um, in each issue, and then we'll discuss it. So, in issue one, uh, we start off with a rather, how would you describe it, um, apocalyptic scene, I, I would say, of some demon-like um, horses being ridden by ape-men. It looks like something from Mordor, actually, was the first thing I thought of when I saw it. Um, there's fire in the sky behind the monsters. They are all seem like they're running off to war or something. In the third panel of the, th- of the first page, though, we see a woman waking up violent- violently. This woman is Dale Arden, a science reporter for The Times, and I think if I remember um, from Defenders of the Earth, she might actually be Flash's future wife. I think he's, her name was Dale, but I could be wrong. Yes,
1: that's that's correct. In the original Defenders of the Earth, she... Gets her life drained out of her into that rock or that thing. Yeah, she becomes
0: the computer.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Um, I can't remember. Dynac X, is that it?
1: Um, Yeah, I think it might be.
0: Yeah, something like that. So, anyway, we're, we're straight away introduced to Dale, and she wakes up violently, as I say, and it turns out that that scary scene that we were seeing before was actually her dream. However... As she wakes up she looks out the window and sees the exact fire in the sky from her dream so on the following page we cut to Bengala where the fire is filling the sky once again we see devil howling obviously quite distressed about what's happening the Phantom appears to console the wolf but it's but he's clearly worried about what's going on cut again to California where we join Mandrake in his home he too is watching the fire in the sky while being tormented by a demon who is locked in the room in which he is looking out the window, which I found quite interesting. Um, This is what made me think of uh, Doctor Strange from Marvel when um, this thing was released in the previews for the issue because it seems that Mandrax has been set up to be a holder of forbidden knowledge and magical secrets, not just the simple illusionist that we've... I say simple, but not just the illusionist that we kind of think of him as. Um, it's a rather ominous scene with a demon telling Mandrake that the fire means it's the end of the world. After another quick cut to an undisclosed location, we meet the cobra for the first time, who is the villain of the series. He's torturing a man to get information out of him about the King's Watch, um, which we haven't quite yet discovered exactly what the King's Watch is. Uh, the torture goes too far, however, and the man is killed, but not for revealing that the king's watch is in Africa. Uh, the cobra discusses what, hap- what just happened with one of his female followers, saying, the gate was open for a second. Something must have come through. So I assume um, we're led to believe from this that whenever the fire in the sky appears, that's when the gate, whatever the gate is, is opening. So he says he wants his followers to keep an eye out for any strange sightings of things that may have come through the gate. And he also mentions a crystal, which we haven't quite um, learnt the the relevance of yet. Okay, we cut again to Connecticut, where Flash's father is on a phone to an unnamed woman. He's discussing how Flash is excited about private space travel and has contacted a Dr. Zarkov. Now, I haven't got a lot of... Um, Previous Flash Gordon knowledge, but I believe Doctor Zarkov is a pre-existing character. Do you uh, know? Him? Yes.
1: Yeah. From what I know, it is.
0: Okay. Cool. Um. So uh, Gordon Senior sees a play land on his mansion's lawn, and um, so he goes out to investigate why there is a plane landing on his lawn, and he discovers it's Flash and Doctor Zarkov and Zarkov's space plane, um, a jet-like machine designed for space flight. While the men are talking, the fire appears in the sky again. Gordon Sr. asks Zarkov what he thinks of the fire, but Zarkov is unaware of it having been locked in his lab for weeks, presumably working on his plane. He does say, however, that a direct probe into the fire would be required to find out the origins of it. Flash suggests that they investigate. The following page shows several small scenes, um, the first of which is... It looks like um, maybe a Middle Eastern um, country where the fire is again appearing in the sky. We see uh, Dale once again having the same dream that we saw at the start of the issue. Another scene um, from Africa where we see what looks like a dinosaur footprint embedded into the earth with the phantom shadow standing above it. And the final scene on that page is an an exterior shot of Mandrake's um, mansion. While we see all these scenes, there is commentary from a news report going over them saying that the um, the fiery bursts in the sky are global, and that everyone in, around the world, or at least millions of people around the world, are having the same dream that we saw at the start of the issue. There's also been sightings of creatures that sound like something out of myth or fantasy movies, um, and people are wondering if it's all an, an enormous illusion and who could possibly answer that question. And as it says, who could answer that question, we see Mandrake's mansion. So obviously, Mandrake has some connection to whatever these events are. Okay, so we cut from there to um, to Dale's office at the Times where she's talking to one of her colleagues, Jen, about the occurrences, the fire in the sky and the dreams and Jen reveals she's been having the dreams as well. And she also mentions that, um, Flash and Dr. Zarkov have decided to take his space plane up into space and try and get a reading on what these fires are and that NASA has, um, given them a probe to take up with them. After this, we cut to West Tunisia, where we find Lothar Mandrake's assistant or strange assistant, maybe as we'll get to in a minute. Um, guiding some photographers through the jungle who are taking photos for, um, I assume, a wildlife museum of some kind. As they journey through, they come across a elephant who is being attacked by a giant Tyrannosaurus-Rex-Demon-Dinosaur-Hybrid-looking monster thing. Um, while the battle is going on, the most of the photographers try to run away except for one silly person who decides to remain behind and try and take photos of the fight, of course he quickly gets eaten uh, sorry not Mandrake, Lothar tries to save him but the bullets from his rifle seem to do little to dissuade the monster from its attacks the elephant and the monster fight for a little bit and then then suddenly out of the jungle appears our hero, the Phantom of course, entering dramatically as always on hero's back, firing his two well actually sorry, one pistol at the monster while flinging his knife at the other and squarely hitting the monster in the eye. So, for the next couple of pages, there's a rather eventful and rather fun battle between the Phantom and the monster. And the Phantom's got a bit of a grin on his face in one part. He looks like he's rather enjoying this whole thing. So, with some help from Lothar, finally the two men take the monster down and Lothar says, thank you Phantom. So, it's quite obvious that Lothar has some pre-existing knowledge of who the Phantom, or what the Phantom is. So, after this, we cut to um, uh, the airfield where Zarkov and Flash are getting ready to take off in their space plane. There is some um, dialogue from Jen who's trying to reach Dale, talking about their setup and them getting ready to go into space. Um, She talks about The um, press believing that all the dreams is a great delusion. And we finish the issue with the plane taking off into space, heading for the fire in the sky, and someone who we assume is Mandrake looking over a book full of strange mystical text and saying, the crystals will open the king's watch, the path that will bring the demons of Mongo. And there the issue ends. And as I'm sure anyone that's watched Defenders of the Earth will know, Mongo is the planet where a certain merciless evil person comes from. So, that's the first issue done. What did you think of it as a introductory issue to the series, Jermaine? Um, I think, first of all, I think you have to, you can't make a proper
1: judgment until you read all five. That's true. Um, I think, as a first issue, it's a bit of a non-event. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they've, I don't know, maybe seeing, seeing I know the characters, you know, from Defenders of the Earth and reading a little bit about them, I feel like I don't need to kind of know about, I don't need to be learning about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the way that they've portrayed the Phantom where he's, like, especially in the first couple, of instances where you see him, it's you only know, see like bits and pieces of him. Like, you see his shadow, you know. His close up on his face, It's, you know, like it keeps that mysterious element. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know too. I know a little bit about Mandrake, but I didn't. I thought he was supposed to be a magician, rather, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Doctor Strange, or a, you know, someone who knows, you know, black and white magic and all that type of stuff. So uh, um, maybe it's my limited knowledge, but from what, you know, I, like I've, I think they've kind of messed around with uh, Mandrake a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I know originally Lee Fork had him um, being in possession of actual magical powers, but he found that in writing the stories, Mandrake, because of that, was just too overpowered. So no matter what... Um, what he came up against, he was able to defeat his enemies because, well, it's magic, With magic it can do anything. Um, so that's why he changed man to just being a master of illusion. So the things he was doing were not, was not actual magic, it was just basically trickery. Um, mm. So here it looks like they've given him back those magical powers. And um, they come into um, come into it even more so in the second issue, which we'll get in a minute. Um, something I forgot to mention, though, while uh, Flash's father is talking on the phone, he's actually looking at a photo of a young boy with Mandrake. Now, I assume that's Flash. Um, it's on page, just let me count, two, four, five. It's on page five. Um, it's the third panel.
1: Yeah, I must admit, I only saw that when I reread the issues uh, today. Mhm. So I guess I guess it's the way that they are all going to be connected or come together is, you know, for instance, the Phantom and Lothar have met. Yeah. You know, and then Lothar's friends with Mandrake and then Mandrake knows Flash. Yep. So I guess that's the connection of where they all meet. Yep. And
0: um in the second issue which we'll get to in a moment, it suggests that Mandrake could be Older, definitely older than, than Flash, and perhaps older than The Phantom and Lothar as well. Um, yeah. It's not a direct statement of his age, but it's just hinted at. Hmm. So, um,
1: yeah, so I, I, think, I... Sorry. No, no, I, I think overall it's... I, I love the fight scene between The Phantom and, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can't really fault much of that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a decent start of an issue, but I I think, you know, you have to kind of withhold some of your uh, comments, or some of the comments until you've read at least, you know, at least the whole series.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, personally, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, um, like you said, I really enjoyed the battle between the Phantom and the monster thing whatever that is. Um, I actually quite like the way they've re- portrayed Mandrake. I don't mind that they've made him that more mystical character, but having said that, I am a huge Doctor Strange fan, and I really like those types of characters and stories, so I'm probably a little bit biased there. Um, I really like that Lothar is given a prominent role, and he's not just, for lack of a better term, Mandrake's sidekick. Um and that he's gone often, and he's doing his own thing, and he's obviously knows who Mandrake is, and he's been with Mandrake at some point in the stories past, which is mentioned again in the next issue, but he's not always following me around and tied to his hip sort of thing, which I which I thought was good. Um, as for Flash, I, I don't really have any knowledge of Flash outside of Defenders of the Earth, um, but... Just basing on what I've seen and that, he seems... You know, this is obviously a younger Flash. It's before he's gone into space. Um, But the characterisation is what I would imagine of a younger Flash. You know, he's a little bit cocky, a little bit self-centred, but still, you know, basically a good man. So, yeah, I think they've got the characterisation for everyone fairly down pat. I would like to know, though, why the Phantom is a little... um, not rough around the edges in that, you know, he was like we saw him in the last Phantom, but here he's unshaven, um, he's, he looks very, be, um, not beaten around the bush, but you know he's he's got some miles on him, I guess you would say. It'll be yeah. interesting to see um, in future issues exactly what their take is on that.
1: I think the good thing is that you've seen a lot of um, uh, probably American portrayals of the Phantom where he looks like, you know, like Arnold, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, you know, back in the day where he's just got muscles on top of muscles. Yeah. Um, where in this, he looks more stocky. Yeah, he does. Um, where, so, you know, yeah, he's still got the muscles and all that, but he doesn't look like he's, you know, some chiseled, you know, piece of statue of what the ideal man looks like. You know, this guy looks like, almost like a, you know, like a wrestler. Mm. you know, UFC type of fighter where he's, you know, muscly, but he's more realistic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did did really like, and it seems like a really little thing, but that one panel of him um, during the fight scene where he smiles, I think that just showing that he's actually enjoying what he's doing, and is not just, you know, a constantly grim um, hero, like so many heroes are nowadays, I think that is a really nice little touch, like he's He's fighting this giant monster thing that he's never seen before. He almost gets taken out a couple of times, but he's still smiling all the way through it. And yeah, it's only that one panel, but I think it still adds a lot to the character and just shows that he's not all grim and, and morbid, which some creators have tried to make him because of, I guess, the skull motif and things like that. Mm, and, um, at the moment, I think Mandrake's grimming it up enough for everybody anyway. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it sounds like he's in midlife crisis.
0: Yeah. What did you think of the um, whole demon thing, where he's talking to the demon in his in his room? Um,
1: a little bit morbid, I guess. Um, I, I guess it really all depends. Like I said, you know, you really only see, you know, one page yeah. of man of Mandrake. So, um, you know, I. I I guess, again, it's, uh, wait and see how he is for the rest of the issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing if that demon comes back into it in future issues or if it's just kind of left there. Yeah, hopefully it'll come back into it because to introduce it in the first issue and then not have it go anywhere would be kind of silly. But, um, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Okay. Well, let's move on to issue two. So issue two opens um, once again with Jen um, Dale's friend at the airfield where Zarkov and Flash had their plane. And in the th- uh, sorry, the fourth panel, we see two shady-looking people in sunglasses listening into her mobile phone conversation as she's talking to to Jen. On the second page, second and third page, which is a double page spread, we see that Zarkov and Flash have already taken off into space, as we saw at the end of the issue. And the ship is powered by an interesting-looking crystal. You may remember that um, the Cobra mentioned a crystal at last issue. So, as they fly towards the um, fire in space that people have seen on Earth, fire in the sky, Zarkov warns Flash that it's not probably not safe to go in because they don't know anything about it. But, of course, Flash being the headstrong person he is, just goes for it anyway. As they enter the, f- the flames, the fire, or the light, whatever you would like to call it, they are presented with images which Flash mentions um, as like the ones that everyone has seen in their dreams, except they're more vivid, vivid, they feel very real. Of these images, we see two people on the back of a four-tusked mammoth in a snowy, icy looking world with an army gathering behind them. We see other men in what could be best described as Robin Hood-like attire in a forest. We see spaceships in battle, um, some men with hawk-like wings um, flying through the sky, and the man-ape dinosaur monster things that we saw um, from the first issue. But most interestingly is in the middle of that spread, we see a green-skinned, pointy-eared man with a goatee and a skull cap. I'm sure everyone will guess who that is when they see the image. It is obviously Ming the Merciless. And as we mentioned, Mongo was mentioned, mentioned in the previous issue. So after all that, we cut back to Western Tunisia, where um, Lothar is leaving what looks like a police station. As he walks out, he's approached by the Phantom, who knows his name. They discuss the fight that they had in the first issue, and the Phantom shows Lothar the head of another creature, similar to the one that they fought in Issue 1, but not exactly the same. The um, the Phantom says he ran into it not long after um, the original battle from Issue 1. It's not as big, but just as dangerous as the one that attacks Lothar's group. The Phantom mentions that he knows every kind of animal in the land, by the land we're assuming he means Bangala, but he's never seen one like this. He knows they're not natural and that he's had the dreams as well. Lothar agrees and says something big is happening. And then he says, I don't care if he wants to be left alone. The Phantom asks who? And Lothar answers, someone who will know what's going on. In the dirt where they're standing, Lothar uh, draws in some runes, sets some leaves on fire and throws them onto the runes. The Phantom asks if Lothar is a magic user, and Lothar answers, I know a little of what my friend taught me. Of course, the friend he referring to is Mandrake. As he throws the burning leaves onto the runes, fire erupts and forms into the shape of Mandrake the Magician. Uh, Mandrake says to Lothar that he thought he might be hearing from him, and Lothar asks if he knows what's going on with the sky. Mandrake answers that he thinks he does, that someone is trying to open a gateway, and his findings show that the gateway is in Tunisia. Mandrake continues saying, ancient dwellers of the region refer to it as Kath Amor. The Phantom recognizes the name and says that its English translation is the King's Watch, but he also mentions that it's just an old jungle legend about the stone carving that the um, natives say, a demon lord spies on everyone through it. Perhaps the demon lord could be Ming? We don't know yet. Um, the Phantom mentions that the locals still cover it and hide it from strangers. Mandrake says that that's a sound practice, especially at the moment, as the King's Watch is being breached. He mentions that there are two key- keys that will fully open it. One is being held by a man who knows exactly what they do. We assume this man is the Cobra. And we cut to a scene with the Cobra talking to his female, I don't know, second in charge, I guess you would describe her as, who was getting out of a bath and we are, um, we are shown that they are talking about Tunisia and the King's Watch. We see around the cobra's neck a jewel, a round gem, that looks exactly like the one that Dr. Zarkov has powering his plane. Uh, the cobra's female assistant, or second in charge, mentions that they know about the gem that Zarkov has, and that they are going to try and track him down. We cut to um, Flash's estate and Dale is there going to interview Flash and as she's walking towards uh, the horse stables where Flash is, we get a bit of background information on Flash. We find out that he's an excellent sportsman, that he was born into lots of money, but he's never really used it uh, as an excuse to um, be a bit of a tool or anything like that. He's, he's not... Um, an upstart because of money. So as Dale and and Flash are talking, I almost called him the Flash. Then it's the wrong character. As Dale and Flash are talking, we see the two shady characters from earlier in the issue listening in on their conversation once again. Um, we cut again to turn where Lothar and the Phantom are running. Uh, sorry, riding off to find King's Watch. The Phantom says that. Um, Oh, sorry, I've lost my spot. The Phantom says that they need to go to a village who know where the watch is, can help them get there. And as he approaches the village, he says something rather interesting. He says that some of the tribes tolerate him. This high guard, however, indicating the guardsman at the gate of the village, doesn't. The Phantom has to ask, rather politely, to walk into the village and go and see the Elder. Um, The Elder tells them where the King's Watch is and shows, draws a map for them to show them its location. We cut back once again to Dale and Flash. Flash is showing the Z-plane, Dr. Zarkov's spaceship, off to Dale and they are discussing the trip into space, what Flash and Zarkov found and what they plan to do about it. Zarkov arrives rather drunk and isn't very happy to see Dale, a member of the press there. As the three people discuss the plane and what's been happening around the world, the Cobra's men appear and of course a battle ensues. The Cobra tells that he wants the second quantum crystal, which is what's powering Zarkov's plane, and that it reveals itself when it may, uh, when it's made surfaced. So, the battle kicks in, of course, Zar- uh, sorry, the Cobra's men get thrumped by Flash and his friends, until the cobra uses the quantum crystal's power to create a snake skeleton, I guess is the best way to describe it, that wraps itself around Flash and looks like it's about to eat his face off, which is where the issue ends. So, all the pieces are coming together, the Phantom and Lothar are on their way to the King's Watch, the cobra has, looks like he's got his second skull, and the Flash is in a hell of a lot of trouble. So, it's moved the story along quite well. I think it worked pretty well for a second issue. Um, at the end of the first issue, when they mentioned uh, Mongo, I thought maybe that was just you know an interesting nod that the creators might have put in there for people that are familiar with Defenders of the Earth and Flash Gordon, but actually seeing Ming in the second issue, I thought was quite interesting. I'm wondering if this series will end up having uh, Ming come to Earth, or Something like that. What do you reckon, Jermaine?
1: Um, I think he does come to Earth. Like, I think in the preview, in the previews, um, I think from memory, now don't quote me on this one, and I'm sure some of the other fans will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Cobra and Ming actually team up. Oh, okay. I think. Um, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he does come to Earth, and, um, so, yeah, whether whether we see uh, a regular series coming out of it with the three or the four heroes battling, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's... Because they're, they're, um, they're definitely taking their time to establish the
0: characters. Yeah. It's so... Definitely, it's definitely written for people that have no familiar, familiarity with the characters at all. Hmm. Um... And, like, so, well, I can
1: only assume that, you know, that they're taking their time to establish it so that, you know, we can get more than just five issues with these four people fighting, you know, um, fighting against the Cobra and all me.
0: Well, Jeff Parker, um, the writer of the series, has said that if this one is successful, that there will be follow-ups. So hopefully it'll it'll sell well enough for that to happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, I have heard that there might, you know, that there might be something else, that, you know, that basically is going to be something else in the pipeline, mm-hmm. but that's just an unconfirmed rumor so far. Um, and I guess the first issue did sell out. Yep. Um, they had to, I think they did just over 10,000 prints. Oh, that's all right. Of the first issue. And that sold out, and they had to do um, another another batch, which meant there was another variant cover for everyone to buy for the first um, <laughs> for the first issue. I don't know about the sales for the second issue, mm-hmm. but for it to you know for it to sell twelve, oh, I'm assuming around you know ten thousand plus of the first issue, and obviously it exceeded their uh, their expectations. That is good news.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is very good news. Because after the um shall we say poor sales of <laughs> The Last Phantom, especially towards the end there, we weren't sure if we'd ever see another series with the Ghost of Walks from Dynamite, but um yeah, obviously these ones haven't haven't sold too badly, so hopefully we'll see more.
1: Yeah. Um I I found that some of the panels were a little bit bigger. Yep. And just looking at the art, so, like, you know, um, obviously when they're flying through the uh, lights, mm-hmm. you have that, you know, you have that two half pages of of those images, and then you've got the big one of Lothar, the Phantom, and Mandrag talking. and Yeah. Um, and then towards the end, you've got that, uh, you know, almost a... It you know, you've almost got um, almost two pages of just one panel of, uh, of the Flash kicking some bad guy in the head.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very much um, more action-oriented, I would say, hence the bigger panels and more, I guess, explosive angles and images that, that they've shown in this issue. But, um, yeah, yeah. The art is very nice. I, I must admit, I do really, really like the um, the art that Mark Lanning is, has put into this book. It all looks really nice. Personally, I, I think it's great anyway.
1: Yeah. I'll, another thing that I noticed is the detail as well. like There's the small things, like which I think when you're reading it for the first time, you don't really pay much attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the first issue when you had uh Flash Gordon's dad picking up the photo and there's Mandrake and Flash. Yeah. And there. Um, another one is I noticed um, you know, when Dale's getting out of the taxi. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost well, you know, you almost pretty much don't see those little small things. Yeah. Um but I, I, I guess, you know, the art is quite detailed.
0: Yeah, he's definitely put a lot of um, time and care into the drawings. I'm, I'm not hugely familiar with Mark Lanning's artwork. I've seen it in one or two other books um, in the past, but I'm, I'm not hugely familiar with his style, so I, I can't say if this is typical of his style or not, but it is very, very impressive. Even just, um, you know, if, if you look at the, the kind of SWAT men that the Cobra brings, um, when they fight Flash and Zarkov and Dale, the armor and stuff is all drawn quite specifically, and it all looks very functional. So he's obviously taking care in what what he's putting on the page.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like even in one of the fight scenes, like um, you know, like the goggles get taken off his head from yeah. the impact of um, of the kick or the punch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely detailed. Um, Again, I think I think the story getting to the story. I think it's still setting everything up, mm-hmm. Um I, I definitely think it's like it's uh, coming along fast. But I guess from a from a critical point of view, or from a point of view where you need every every comic to kind of be a standalone story or something that can sell, I wonder if issue two does enough of that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's it's kind of like a, I don't know, it kind of sticks out or does it like, yeah, I don't know, it's like you have to buy issue one to be able to read issue two.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose it is, you know, a mini series, so it's supposed to be a self-contained series, not self-contained stories in each issue. But I do, I do know what you're saying. If you picked up issue two without, uh, sorry, without reading issue one, you wouldn't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, if nothing else, the, the action would would get you in. There's some nice action scenes in it. Um, just to go back to sales, um, sales numbers for a moment. I just looked up ICV2, which is a website that reports on um, comic sales. Now, their sales um, are by Diamond, the the um, suppliers of comics to comic stores only. So these are only issues that have been sold through Diamond. so um, stores that are online, um, conventions, things like that are not counted in these numbers. So they're not... Um, 100% indicative of the total number of issues sold, but they do give you a a decent idea. So according to ICV2, um, Kings Watch Issue 1 sold 9,471 copies. Now, that's only for the first printing, and as you said, that they had to reprint it, so it doesn't count how many of the second printing sold. So it's just the first printing and just through specialty comic stores. So, other stores that sell comics, um, some collectible stores will sell comics, but they're not considered specialty stores, um, they're not counted as well. So, it gives you a bit of an indication. So, that's not too bad. Um, it came in at number 240 on the top 300, um, 300 issues sold for September this year. So, to put that into a little bit of perspective, Um, It is one of the very few non-Marvel and DC issues under 200. So basically everything from 1 to 200 except one or two instances um, are Marvel and DC. And then around uh, issue, sorry, number 200, so around the 200th mark, there's a few image um, issues such as Invincible, which is a very popular series, The Walking Dead, of course. Um, IVW's Doctor Who is at 206, but of course it's very, very popular at the moment. So that positioning, although out of 300 it might sounds sound like much, is actually quite good. Because, as we know, Marvel and DC, um, between the two of them, hold about 80% of the comics market. So, yeah, it's, it's done pretty well but it would be interesting to know what the, um, what the full sales numbers are for that first issue. But anyway, that might be of interest to some listeners. Okay, so um, something I'd, I'd really like your opinion on, Jermaine, was um, where the Phantom and Lothar visit the village, and the Phantom mentions that some of the tribes tolerate him. Now, we're kind of used to seeing the Phantom as, um, I suppose, a god, or regarded as a god. Um, in the jungles of Gogh. So to have a tribe that tolerates him is quite a change from what we're used to. What did you think of that? What was your, your reaction to that?
1: Um, To be honest, I kind of liked it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think, like, for the free readers, you know, the readers of, you know, free comics and, um, you know, the dailies and Sundays and, and stuff like that, it's, it's kind of like you get a real Hollywood... Hollywood version of the fandom where, you know, he's like everyone's best mate. He knows everyone by name. Yeah. You know, he knows their birthday, but since, you know, birthday cakes and movie vouchers for their birthday <laughs> and stuff like that. But I, I guess, you know, I very much doubt Africa or, you know, the true Africa is like that. Yeah. Um. And so, you know... I actually like... I think it's more real. Yep. You know, the relationship he has with... Well, from what we see, is definitely more real than what um, we probably see in the free pages.
0: Yeah. And and there's always been that thing, too. Um, Well, not always, obviously, because times have changed, but the last maybe 20 years or so, there's always been that thing of the Phantom is a white man lording it up over black um natives there's always been that kind of you know if, if people want to look at it that way you can have a look at you can you can argue it's that whole white man oppressing black people which some people have um levels at the comic i've seen things online and heard um people mention that um so it, yeah i th- i think that having the tribe tolerate him or um not regard him as the absolutely amazing uh, jungle hero that we've sort of been told that he is or he's established as being recognised as by the jungle tribes is, like you say, much more believable and, and quite refreshing, to be honest. Um, and it's interesting because he's really the only character in a costume Because Lothar's just in, you know, stuff you'd track around the jungle in. The Flash... Ah, sorry, I called him The Flash again. Flash is just, again, in regular clothes. Mandrake is... Well, we haven't seen him, for lack of a better term, in costume yet. But when he does have a costume, it's just a top hat and tails. If, indeed, that's what they have him in in this series. So, the Phantom's only really... The only character in a traditional sort of superhero costume. So that idea of tolerating him also, I think, and maybe I'm just reading too much into it, suggests that maybe he's a little bit eccentric or something in a world of quote-unquote normal people. He's running around in purple tights. But um, I definitely think it's an interesting take on the character. I'm looking forward to um, seeing where that goes and hopefully that will that relationship between him and the natives will develop a bit more.
1: Yeah, a like the big century, you know, they're probably the seven-foot... Dude, uh, mm. you know he's got a, he's got a skull mark on his on his face. So, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, there's still that there is that respect, but it's probably earned by you know punching a few people in the face. Mm. Actually, I wondered, is...
0: I wondered when they said he was seven foot, if because the, the tribe isn't names, but I wonder if it was you know a nod to the Wasaka demons. Yeah, because they were. I think they were about um, seven eight foot, weren't they? They were pretty tall.
1: I don't think it is. There's somewhere where he actually. I'm pretty sure he actually mentions the um the tribe. Oh, does he? He must have. I thought
0: he did. Um. Yeah, I can't. I can't see him here. But you're quite right. You're probably right. No, I can't find it. Maybe you. there isn't, but I uh, yeah
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no no no. Yeah. So after his walk past the cemetery where he's walking to the old lady uh-huh. he goes, This is the doctor of the
0: Willie.
1: Uh, Will we leave, we'll we'll be?
0: We'll be, we'll be, yeah. Okay, so so it's not the Wasaka. Fair enough. Yeah. But still it's it's an interesting interesting take on the um on the on the relationship. Something else that's quite interesting is that, um, during that ride to the village between, um, the Phantom and Lothar, Lothar mentions that, um, the Fan Phan- uh, sorry, that Mandrake has come across Cobra before. And he says, at the time they were just a dangerous cult, and now they're going to be a full-on deadly r- religion. But he also mentions, um, that in their last encounter, meaning Lothar and Mandrakes, Cobra tricked Mandrake and made him lose the love of his life. It's why he's been a recluse these past years. As far as I know, this is the first time since he's left his home, Um, meaning the first time, meaning um, when Lothar goes to look for the other crystal. Now, we know that in Lee Falk's series, Mandrake um, had a a wife. Um, I can't... Was it Xanadu, her name? I I think it was Nadia. Nadia, was it? Might have to Google yeah. that. <laughs> There's probably Mandrake fans listening to this going, What are you doing, you idiot? You don't know anything? But, um, yes, we, I do know he did have, have a wife. So obviously, she's died. Um, she's no longer with us in this series. So it'll be interesting to see if they, if they cover that, exactly what happened. So it's, it's good that they've got, you know, that bit of history there, um, between the two characters. It's not like this is the first time they've met. And it also, um, it also informs us as to why Lothar isn't with Mandrake, because Mandrake wants to you know, be alone and obviously green, breathe for his wife. So it's, that's an interesting little development, I thought. Hmm. Um, there was one... Oh, yes, the other thing I was going to say is with the two villains we've seen so far, we've got the Cobra, obviously, and we've got Ming, who may or may not show up later on. Ming is the flash. Oh, I can't even flash again. Ming is Flash's villain. The Cobra is Mandrake's. I wonder if we'll see one of the Phantom villains turn up.
1: Yeah, that would be nice to to see um, one of those. But I don't really know because they've kind of, the the way I see it is that they've kind of fit the Phantom into the spiritual fantasy sci fi type of world. Yeah. Um, where, cause obviously you've got you know, Flash Gordon and Mandrake mm-hmm. have have got that element where the Phantom doesn't. So they've, well, the way I see it is that they've put the Phantom into their world. So I don't know if we're going to see another villain put into the, uh, sci fi world again.
0: Yeah. It, it would kind of make sense though if I do introduce one because you've got, basically one villain for each hero then. Um, but I'm not sure who they'd pick. There are there have been quite a few supernatural-type stories with the Phantom, but maybe the the vampires of Cuckoo or someone will show up. But um, it would be yeah. nice if the Phantom had kind of his own villain in there as well. Um, one other thing I thought was interesting, we are uh, told um, in the first page that we see Mandrake on, which is page uh two four, page four, um Maisie's leaving the police station they say they call him Mr Koweebi, I think or Koweeba, I think it's pronounced. Now is that the first time we've ever seen um, logo uh logo seen his last name? Uh,
1: first time that I know of, but again, I'm not a huge reader of Mandrake, so
0: no, no, me either. And um, I've never heard him referred to as having a last name, but obviously, I've not read every Mandrake story. But um, yeah, I just thought I thought that was interesting. I just wondered if if anyone does know whether that is sort of Lee Fort canon or not. Let us know, um, because yeah, I've never heard of Mandrake referred to it as having a last name before. Right, so is there anything else you'd like to say about either issue, Jermaine?
1: Um, not really. Again, you know, same, little bit unsure about the magical elements, like, you know, uh, the Loafer's way of reaching Andre. you know. Mm. Um, I, I guess it's got more effect this way, but surely a mobile phone will just be a little bit easier, a little yeah, bit more lo- practical.
0: Wouldn't, wouldn't look as cool, though.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I guess that's what it's for. It's for, um, you know, it's for the effect.
0: Yeah. I wonder if any of the um, policemen in that station noticed the big talking flame that was just outside their HQ. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, would have probably thought I might have been smoking or something. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cool, well, um, I'm definitely looking forward to the next next three issues.
1: Yeah, I reckon. I reckon issue three is going to see the Mandrake rescue Flash Gordon, um, Dale, and Professor Zed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's that's my prediction for issue three. And then that way you've you've kind of got the two parts of the two teams, you know, connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's how that's that's my prediction for issue three.
0: Well, I reckon we'll see also um, Lothar and the Phantom finally reach the King's Watch and we'll find out exactly what it is. Hopefully, anyway. That's what I think. Yeah. Because Issue 3 is roughly the midway point, so everything sort of builds up to the conclusion and then, of course, we get the wrap-up in Issue 5. So, yeah, Yeah, I think we'll find out a lot of information next Issue.
1: Yeah, and Issue 4 will probably be, you know, where everything is really, really bad and then Issue 5 is when they clean it all up.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, well, um, that'll do for our discussion on King's Watch. We'll do another episode um, for the next bunch of issues, whether we'll do... We might do an episode for 3 and 4 and then we'll do um, another one for Issue 5 and then just our general thoughts on the series as a whole because as Jermaine mentioned earlier it's it's better off leaving your final thoughts until the series is finished. So I think that's what we might do. What do you reckon Jermaine? Sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds good. Right, uh, cool. Okay, well, with the, um, the King's Watch, is- Watch issues out of the road, I suppose we should talk about what other comics we've been reading um, since the last e- uh, last episode. Now, a lot of um, through issues have come out. I think you said five before, Jermaine? Um, so?
1: Yes, five yes. from my uh, quick Mass, which isn't um, always the best.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine too. Um well, I've been really bad, and I've actually not read any Phantom issues since the last episode, um, apart from King's Watch, just because of not having time, really, and, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've just, just not had time to, to read any more. I've been buying them, I just haven't got around to reading them, so the floor's yours, Jermaine, if you want to give us your thoughts on okay, any of the stuff so, you've said.
1: So, starting from 1674... Um, which is called The Floating Coffin. Um, It's from the archives, or as the front cover says, a golden oldie from the archives. (laughs) Um, It's Norman Walker and Kerry LePan. Now, the good thing is, is that the story doesn't have any of the fuzziness or, um, or bad reproductions. What I've noticed is... Some of the old stories from the archives haven't been scanned or produced the best, um, but the artwork's got nice blacks. It's not fuzzy, um, so it reads well. So um, it's good. It's a good story. Um, it's a you know a typical uh, generational story. Um, you know, basically, you've got a coffin. It's called it a floating coffin, which is a ship. Basically, they uh, want us to sink it so they can get their insurance money. The 16th Phantom uh, rescues uh, a pretty lady. Um, you know, he, he saves the day and then he marries the pretty lady, um, as most stories kind of are these days. Um, there's some good fight scenes. It's, uh, I find Kerry Le Pen's best stuff is in, like, all the historical stories.
0: Yeah. He's, got a, he's got a real knack
1: of, there's a lot of shit work, uh, a lot of shit drawings in this one. Um, so it's, I find that he's very, very good at that, um, with the historical post um, drawings. So it's a good story, um, it's, again, but it's, it has been written before, Like I mean, it has been you know, for a fruity publication back in 2004.
0: Yeah, I've got, I remember reading the um the original printing uh, issue thirteen ninety seven it was, um, yeah and I remember it having the first um ah, sorry the the first time I can remember reading about the um sixteenth Phantom's wife which I remember finding quite quite interesting. Um, as you say, I I remember the art being quite nice as well. Um, yeah. Um,
1: there is a bit of a query, because, um, I don't know if you remember the Sunday story, The Fancy Cowboy? Yep, yeah, I remember Which
0: that. was,
1: I think, from memory of Scott Harry's last full story that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually, that actually features a story on the Phantom meeting his future wife as well, which was an American and not a, um. A person from Europe.
0: Oh, okay. So there's
1: been a bit of a... Uh, um, well, this story, The Floating Coffin, was actually created first.
0: Oh, okay. So there's a lot of
1: discussion on how to fit the two stories together.
0: Mm. And I think, um,
1: I think the Egmont team have basically said that the wife that he married in The Floating Coffin died, and then the second wife was the one... In full story, yep. so it's there's, there's a bit of a toing and fro between the you know the different canons and what people you know whether they believe that Edmond has a place or whether they don't.
0: Yeah. Um, so if anyone, if anyone's interested in checking uh, the Phantom Cowboy out, it was last published in through number um, one thousand and ninety two, which was the nineteen ninety four Christmas special. Um, along with the very awesome King of Chicago, which um, I believe was the 20, 20th Phantom in that story. Yes, that's a very good story. Um,
1: the next for issue which is 1675, is Rhodia Dawn, so it's a, a follow-on from the um, Rhodia, which is the country that's basically based on South Africa in apartheid times. It's it features a cover by Antonio de Lemos, which I, to this day, I don't know if it was part of the style that Antonio was going for, but it's got a real sketchy type of cover. Um, where, like, it's, it's very nice, detailed and all that, but it's, I don't, know, yeah, I don't know if it's a, whether they kind of, uh, photocopied it and, and it got, didn't, you know, it was a wrong uh, production of what Antonio originally wanted it, but it's, yeah, it's really sketchy. It's kind of dusty and dirty, and it's quite interesting actually. The cover. Oh,
0: what, what issue number was that? Sorry.
1: Uh, One six seven
0: five. Six seven five. I'm just um, looking it up to have a look. Oh, I don't have a copy of it.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, so the covers, the covers, interesting. Basically it features, uh, the downfall of Rhodia, um, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the guy who's named after Nelson and, um, and Mandela. His name is Nelson Nendela, so without, instead of the M, it's with an N. Basically, um, he takes control of, um uh, Rhodia at the end of the story. It's it's pretty it's action packed. There's you know some good fight scenes, some good hair raising um, scenes where you know Phantom has to cross a, a river that you know on a on a tree trunk that's you know in the middle of the storm about to go over a um, of a waterfall. Um, he has to has battles you know some uh, battles with dirty generals and politicians and stuff, including. Um, General Barbobu.
0: Oh, he makes a return.
1: Makes a return. is more of a, a nuisance than anything else, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's a fast, you know, a fast-paced action story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's enjoyable. Um, the next one is 1676, which is Prisoners 21. Um it's from the nineteen eighties. Again, it's another publication that has been in a free comic before which was one four oh one. Which yep. was only
0: 200 two hundred issues ago. Yeah, two thousand and four that came out. Um
1: so I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of um Old stories coming in while the transition between Judith yeah. and Steve, um, and also seeing kind uh, have reduced their um, their new story quota as well. So
0: yeah, they but, need to fill in those.
1: Yeah, hopefully, boxes. hopefully what we'll, what we will see is um, uh, some stories that haven't been produced by Free coming in again. Mm. Yeah, I've, yeah.
0: I've Remember, um, when I originally read Prisoner One*, I did, did not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, actually had some think... notes here saying, oh, this is terrible. So...
1: I think the story is okay. I think the art is very... Well, it was created in 1980 where I don't think the art was um, the main goal. Mm. Um, they were pumping out stories like there was no tomorrow, so... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it was just, you know, I think everyone was just trying to get stories out as quick as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the next story, emergency Landing in the South Seas, which is 1677. Again, this was reproduced by the First, well, The last time it was printed was 879, which was 1987. Um, what's actually interesting is that uh, there's an advert for the new three-inch Phantom figurine from Limitless Visions, and it's saying that it'll be available in November.
0: Ah, oh, interesting.
1: Um. So again, it's you know it's um it's a very it's very similar as Prisoner Twenty One, very um. Corny style uh, art, um, you know, not you know very average storyline, but it's you know it's an enjoyable read. It's, I don't think it's meant to, you know, it's I don't think it's meant to win any awards or anything like that. It's very similar as I guess the 1980 action flicks where you know you have lots of um, uh, you know you have cheesy storylines. You know, very typical hero who doesn't say much, he doesn't do much, but lets his actions, do the talking. Yeah. Um, you know, there's girls that get that need rescuing, um, and then there's fight scenes. So, it's, you know, it's very typical from that era. Yeah, fair enough. Um, again, I see it more as a fill-up, where basically they're trying to fill issues up. Mm-hmm. um the latest issue which is 1678 well at the time of um recording this is by Philip Madden and Alex uh Saviek, um which is the first time it's been printed um it's I find Alex's um artwork very interesting like he can almost I don't know whether it's by um on purpose or not but he can almost change his style every issue.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that too.
1: Um, I don't know whether... It, I don't know if it's whoever does the inking or whether it's because he's in a rush or, or not, but I find it interesting where he's able... where he's almost able to change style. Yeah, um,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through the issue now. Like I said, I haven't read it, but I'm just flipping through it now, and it looks... It's almost Graham Nolan-like. It's um, got that sort of... Simplicity to it, while not being, you know, cartoony. It's um, I quite like it actually. It's quite bold, lots of thick black lines and.
1: Yeah, I, what I angles. do. Is, yeah, he's always um, uh, I've I've talked a bit to him um, when he came to Australia and that and on Facebook, and. You can tell he does take a lot of care in the way he does um. Uh, the Phantom and. A lot of the panels, as you were saying, are very different. Yeah. Um, like, when he's kissing the lady, you know, it's a, like, it's a long shot instead of a close-up, which you would probably expect. Um, it's, you know, um, and then you've got panels which are, you know, like the boxing scene. You know, somehow the Phantom always works well with a boxing scene.
0: <laughs> um, yeah.
1: But yeah, it's you know, so it's just it's yeah, and it's got it's got a black which which comes out well in the colour in the colour version which I've I've got a colour version, but it also comes out quite well in the black and white. Yeah. Which I think is important, which I think a lot of artists whether they know or they or they you know, don't care, is um uh, is it doesn't always look good in a free comic,
0: no. no that's but
1: true. um, I've noticed with the ones, uh, with especially with a lot of uh, Alex, Alex's last couple of issues, it looks good, just as good in black and white as it does in color.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Uh, um, another yeah. what's also interesting, which I just picked up, is you actually see the fan with like a cut lip.
0: Yeah, I noticed that at the back.
1: Yeah. Um, and it looks like he's got a bit of a shiner as well. So, you know, um not you know, not often do you see the Phantom, you know, taken and beaten and and showing that he is human. Yeah. I think probably the last time I saw it was when he got blown up from a suicide bomber in um in one of Graham Nolan's uh, original stories. Hmm. So it's good to see, you know, a cut lip, a black eye, you know, an egg on his face.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Something interesting I no- noticed at the start of the issue here, um, where the Phantom, Diana, Kitten, Heloise are in the jungle, Diana's hair is still short, which um, I assume is, um, is a leaveover from the... Uh, is it the Death of Diana storyline that was in the um, newspaper strips? Was that the title? Death of Diana, where where the fandom thought that um, Diana was blown up anyway. And she was actually taken to a prison in, I think, Rodia and they shaved her head. So although that happened relatively a fair while ago, it seems that um, that's been, you know, if she's still got short hair, this story mustn't have happened too long after that. So it's yeah. just an interesting timeline thing. I'm just trying to find...
1: I've noticed that pretty much all
0: of them are like that. Um... Oh, here we go. It's in Fru. Um, they called the, the story The Python Strikes Back and it was in um, 1602, but I think its actual newspaper title was Death of Diana. I think. I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, and obviously the Python was the one that blew up. I think it was the the UN building where Diana worked, and but he actually took her away to Rhodesia and chucked her in a prison and shaved her head. Um, but yeah, that that was that issue came out in 2011, just over halfway through 2011. So yeah, it's it's just a i just it just struck me as an interesting timeline. Sort of thing there.
1: I wonder if it's um, uh, if it's a directive or like you know whether Egmont have told all the artists that she must have short hair. Yeah,
0: Um, maybe.
1: Or maybe it was you know when the stories were first created, and the artists just continue to do it because that's what they got told, and they're doing it until they get told otherwise
0: yeah yeah so that's that's one thing that I'm um, with with the Egmont stories I, I would love to to know as a kind of timeline because obviously with um, the way Fru publishes them, they're mixed around and mixed up and we don't get them kind of in the sequential order that you would if you're reading them originally published by Egmont um, because you know there's some stories that Fru have held on for for a while before printing them here for various reasons, whether they wanted to get all the parts together or, or not. But then there's just the the regular confusion that adding um, stories in the middle of um, a time when they don't have any new stuff from Egmont creates as well. So, yeah, a timeline of, of events would be really good if anyone wants to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, because this story is kind of a bit of a follow-on from the, um, what's his name? Uh, that that Russian guy, I think his name's Popovich, oh, yeah. Timuroff, Timur which is 1670. But then a couple of issues that get, previously we've had the Rodia storyline. So it's like you know you've got three or four storylines at the same time, and it does get a little bit confusing. Yeah, because um, you know you've got the storyline where he fights you know, this Russian guy. Then you've got the storyline where Rodi is set free of apartheid, and then you've got the, you know, the new president of Bengala, what's her face? Sandal Singh. So you've got that storyline. And she hasn't popped
0: up for a while.
1: Yeah, so you've got several storylines that are all kind of separate, which I think would be better if they actually... But, you know, finish
0: one storyline and then start the next one. Yeah, yeah. And I know, you know, this this opinion will probably be a bit controversial with some fans, but I wish they do more of a Marvel and DC, DC thing where they did plot out exactly what was going to happen over, you know, the course of a year or two years and sort of stick to that. So the stories would be a bit more cohesive, um, if nothing else. Of course, that mightn't help us much here in Australia where we don't get them printed the same time they are in... Um, in Sweden, but but still, it might might make things a little bit easier to follow. Definitely. Cool. So, is that any more issues, Jermaine, or is that it? Um,
1: no, that's all the, the new issues. There's a new one um, um, uh, coming out, which will be one six seven nine, which is the
0: Pirate Inheritance. Yep. Which comes um, out on the fourteenth.
1: 14th of November and that was last published in 1987 Yeah, which is just another reprint that we've already seen
0: Mm-hmm. cool well is there any anything else you'd like to end, uh, add to the podcast before we wrap it up
1: um not really
0: fair enough right well um thank you again for joining me Jermaine with this like I said I think we'll just make you the official co-host <laughs> and everyone else could just be a guest um, okay. Alright, guys, thank you again for listening to the X Band. Remember, you can check out all of the new I- news items we discussed on thechroniclechamber.com, and you can also check us out on Facebook at the Chronicle Chamber's Phantom fan page and Phantom Collector for all of those people who like to spend ridiculous amounts of money on phantom merchandise and then show it off to everybody. So, we will try and not um, have such a large gap between episodes this time um like i said we will definitely do one covering episode uh sorry issues three and four of king's watch but we might even do another one between now and then as well all Right, guys thank you again for listening and we hope you have a good weekend if indeed you are still listening to this on the weekend all right see you later everybody goodbye